1: Welcome to episode 155 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's Mom. Today's podcast is from the live stream that Gwen and I recorded just a few nights ago on YouTube and Facebook. <laughs> Again, if you would like to listen to those live streams as they're recorded so you can ask questions, just be sure to watch on social media. These are usually about every six weeks or so. So if you pay attention, you will be able to listen to us live. Today's topic is men and grief. And we are here to tackle the subject of men and grief Mm -hmm. and we've talked about it in different contexts right we've talked about relationship like couples relationships and grief we've talked about grieving as a family so husbands and wives and their kids and things like that but we haven't kind of teased out just men in general, because I do get a lot of questions on that, actually, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's, I don't understand my husband, I don't understand my ex-husband, I don't understand, you know, my teenage son, all of those things I get from moms. And then from dads, I have found it interesting that sometimes they feel like, is my grief really normal? Because this doesn't seem like how it maybe should be right? Mm. And how they feel like grief should look like it feels different to them. And they'll get worried that maybe I'm not doing it right. Not that you can do grief right or wrong, exactly. But you know, I think they question that, right? Mm -hmm.
2: Well, -hmm. I think when they're living with females, especially because we are so different, they can tend to maybe think that they're not doing it right. Right. Or maybe
1: people will actually kind of give that idea Mm -hmm. those women in their lives may give them the idea that you aren't doing this right
2: yeah I was just digging while you were talking because I remember thinking about things that make men cry. If they had men rank them, what makes uh-huh. them cry? And then the other part is the topmost 15 important numbers to men, like their age or children's age, how much they earn each year, what it costs to be alive, how much they earn per hour, those kinds of things. Yes, it's just interesting because no matter what you do, whether you rank, you know, emotional reasons to cry. Or numbers that are important to men they are going to answer different than women yeah mm-hmm. you know i mean i i can't tell you i i don't know that i've ever been to a wedding that i haven't had a tear right. and every time my husband looks at me and says it's not a funeral like <laughs> why are you crying?"
1: Right.
2: doesn't get it not right. at all
1: well and i just have to say for my husband Sports movies, get him, sports you know, Rudy mm. and all the, those sports mm-hmm. movies. And we can watch a sports movie and I can look at him and think, you're crying? I mean, it's a football movie, right? It's a baseball right. movie. And maybe it's kind of emotional, but it doesn't like get me tearing up. And yet we can watch something else that is really like I'm almost sobbing. Mm-hmm. And then I got nothing from him, you know? Yeah. So it's totally, totally different.
2: Right. What touches their little spot? Well, one of my questions to start with that I was thinking for you, I know you're the one who normally asks the questions, but I was just curious <laughs> and thinking of your listeners and people who have listened long-term, you have interviewed men. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you said, you know, you get comments, you get these things from men. Does it, has it felt different to interview men?
1: Has it been harder, awkward? What, what does that feel like? You know, it doesn't feel awkward at all. I love it when men want to be on the show. I mean, they're usually uh-huh. pretty excited to be on. It is funny because most of the men that I've had on are doing something, right? So that's oh. a difference. So most of the women, or not most, but many of the women I have on are just wanting to tell their child story, uh-huh. right? But a lot right. of the men I have on have maybe written a book or they've started a podcast or they're thinking about doing something, mm-hmm. not all of them at all, but I do think more of them, maybe that has to do with how they process their grief a little bit, mm-hmm. that they are mm-hmm. a little bit more of a doer kind of, person, right. You know, I recently had one that, you know, has started a TV show. And so he, right. and now he was on with his wife, so they do it together. But again, he's like the producer sort of of the TV show. So it it was something that he could do with Uh his grief, I think.
2: Right. Well, that's interesting that you say that because what we know is like men tend to be very logical and the steps of being logical say, I'm going to study about it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to check the boxes and then I'll be done. There's like a progression through and they have that. So in a sense if checking the box means I'm going to do something with this and I want to mm-hmm. do that, I can see why that would be. I have a story I'll tell you in a little bit, but it will come back to that about the doing part.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's it's just right. what I think back. Cause I'm thinking through all of these guests that I've had on and I've had, you know, two uh-huh. podcasters and two or three writers. Uh-huh. And I mean, it's, it does yeah. tend to be right. that they've done some sort of, Project or something,
2: right? Well, and that I've said this before on here, but intuitive grieving is more what women do, and instrumental grieving is more of a man's thing, and that has more steps. It has, you know, what can I do with this? And they like that. Tell me what yeah. to do, and and,
1: mm-hmm. and I think that depends a lot on personality too, because yes, I, do too. I mean, there are
2: women who are instrumental as well.
1: I, I mean, I'm sort of like that. I really uh-huh. wanted what i called you how soon after Andy died did i call you
2: within days like
1: within days
2: mm-hmm. right i got your mm-hmm. name
1: from the funeral director and i'm like in on the phone with you because i felt like i needed something to do i'm kind mm-hmm. of a doer kind of person and i felt like you just need to tell me to what to do and i will do it because i felt like at a loss mm-hmm. to not do something right, right? and I need to be look doing at you. something Look at well, you. Now, you are yeah. doing that but
2: well, but so that's right. yeah but that didn't stop you you started at the beginning needed to be a doer and even in your healing and starting this you're still a doer.
1: Yeah and right mm-hmm. and different people have different ways of handling right. it so
2: and that that is the hardest part. So in in the fact that we are different Well, I I was thinking of something. Someone was telling me that they related grief to like a Rubik's Cube. And I forget. I think it's Northwestern University. I wrote it down over here because I just read this. Um, Yeah, Northwestern University. There's two engineers who, with a Rubik's Cube, can put it all back together in just 26 moves. They were relating grief to that, like, you know, life might start out with all the sides matching and then grief. But what is the normal amount of moves to get back? And they said, other than these two engineers there, if, if you take a four and a three, put 18 zeros behind it, that's how many moves it can take to get back yeah. 43. I, I don't know how many 18 zeros is, Yeah. but it's interesting because
1: you well, know, it doesn't feel like you'll ever get
2: back. Right. And, I don't, and you don't. I don't know that really. I yeah, will. exactly. Yeah. But I'm relating it to the fact that some people that's really like if you think of a task oriented person is needing to figure out how am I going to do this where others may just right. feel it and let it happen.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. right. But if you right, I like that. So you feel mm-hmm. like. You're thinking about, this is a puzzle to solve. Right. Pieces to place together. Pieces, and if I right. So you know, just and tell make me, me what feel to do. better. I'll go right. through these 10 steps and then, uh, then maybe I'll be okay again. Right. Feeling okay. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm.
2: and, you know, when things make us hurt, we tend to not want to go there. Right. And And again, it, being a logical thinker for some people, if that hurts me, then I'm not going to think about it. So they maybe avoid their grief because they're avoiding the pain. But
1: to them, it's a logical thing because why would I want to do that? Right. And I think I get that a lot, right? That's mm-hmm. one thing that I think about from moms that write me that don't understand what's going on with their husbands.
0: Mm. It's that.
1: It's that they, they don't want to talk about it. They don't mm-hmm. want to do it. They don't want to go to a support group. They don't want to mm-hmm. do all of this kind of stuff. Honestly, because it hurts and they would rather try to not feel it, I, right. I think.
2: Oh, right? yeah. Yes. That happens very frequently. And that leads me to I was telling you that I went to a conference with the compassionate friends. Maybe mm-hmm. some of your listeners were there. They had their national conference at the beginning of August and in Houston, Texas. And I went to a lot of the workshops on men and grief because I'm doing a big seminar on it coming up. And so when you mentioned this, I'm like, okay, I got to start my (laughs) studying. Yeah, um, Yeah, this is your your private right. right. So, so at the conference, I don't think what I'm going to share is private. That's what I'm trying to think about. But so I got to think this through what I'm going to say, but this man was a presenter and he was talking about men and grief. And basically when you just said, I, the women are saying, I don't understand my husband. This is, this is what he said. Women beehive men, man cave. Oh, and, and if you think about that, we do, we all want to huddle together and we, you know, get in that, Oh, we got to figure this out. And there's a lot of chatter and a lot of, and men just retreat and go into their cave. Right. Yeah. A couple of the other differences he talked about is that with women, their emotions are are more wide open, right? And the feelings, right. they feel their way through. So they're just oozing it out where men tend to keep their cards closer to their chest. Like, I'm not going to show my game. and And they're probably way more protective over who they let into that inner mm-hmm. trust circle for sure.
1: Well, I even think back this week, it's very interesting that, so Peter started school, he's a junior Mm -hmm. in high school, and he started, and his first English project that he had to do was he was supposed to write a poem, and it was supposed to be about core memories that he had, and kind of who he was, and taking into account these core memories, and so he was supposed to journal about a core memory, and then write a poem about who he was as a person did not go well I mean, we had the parent uh orient open house the night before and i went in and she said this is what the project was and i thought "Ooh, i don't know how he will mm-hmm. do but mm-hmm. overall peter doesn't talk to me much about his grief anymore he's four mm-hmm. years out we don't talk about it that much to be honest and i've had people ask how's peter and i'm like i think okay i don't know because mm-hmm. he doesn't mm-hmm. talk about it but he of course was supposed to be journaling in english class and he couldn't because he said every memory had andy in it and the biggest core memory was of the car accident
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: and he just couldn't go there and mm-hmm. do that and so he emailed his teacher i think from in the classroom emailed his teacher i can't do this and a little bit and then they talked about it afterwards and they came up with a little bit of an alternative assignment that he's just supposed to talk about all oh, recent memory and kind of a poem on something a little more recent just because it it just would have been too painful for him i got an email from her saying he said he would talk to you about it when he got home but i just wanted to write to you and she apologized which there was no need for her to apologize right there's no uh-huh. way that she would have known that i read this email peter said nothing you know he told her he was going uh-huh. to talk to about it uh-huh. but he didn't so hmm. i went upstairs and then we had to talk about it and it was good and he teared up and we had a nice talk about it uh-huh. so overall i think it was a good thing because it really got us communicating uh-huh. a little bit again about his emotions and his feelings and just how that's too much and i loved that he problem solved i love that he got through that i'd love that he did all that with his teacher but it just goes to show again <laughs> that even though he said he was going to talk to us he right
2: knew. right and mom you did a great thing by going up and and having that conversation because sometimes it's it's that first step that's so hard because in his right. heart he maybe really wanted to tell you that But he didn't know how to bring that up.
1: Right. And I think that's it. I think Mm -hmm. he had every intention of telling us. Right. Yeah. When he said that to his teacher. Mm -hmm. But it just, when it got right down to it, it was too hard. And he just Mm -hmm. doesn't want to, right? He doesn't want to Mm -hmm. think about that. It's painful again. And he'd already been emotional earlier in the day. And So anyway, well,
2: and let's talk about teenage sons since we said we would, you know, it's a great segue into that is that one of the things about teenagers in general is they just want to be having fun. So, I mean, Hey, I've started my junior year and I'm in this great, even if he likes or dislikes English, it's like, Oh, great. I can write a poem about a memory. And then all of a sudden it doesn't, it's not fun. It turns serious. It turns deep. And he, you know, Teenagers don't want to go there. They want to stay on the oh. surface and just the next fun thing and that sort of thing. So that is normal um, right. for that. Right. And, and he's probably looking around if he's got new students or new people. And he's probably saying, do I want to tell them my core memory? It's not,
1: you know right and, and this it, was a thing too when they finish this poem they have to present it to the class and they have whatever. to present it to the freshman class and then the okay. freshmen have to present their poems to the junior class. right like so for that him, is not going to yeah, work right he's no, not, not going to it's like something maybe he could present it to his own class because some of them mm-hmm. likely know that he had a brother right. who died But he's not going to feel comfortable going out to the freshman class. Right. Yeah. Right. And I was wondering, you know, how do
2: you, how do you, yeah. And how do you translate a tragic car accident into a poem? To me,
1: those, you know, know. those don't line up. But he just felt like, you know, who made, what made him what he is today. And in many respects, that did. Right. Right. That changed him forever. Yes. And you know what?
2: Someday he might write about it. It might, you know, just, it is part of his story. He but... hates
1: writing. He's an engineer. Oh, He's not okay. going to write All if right. he doesn't have yeah. to. But...
2: <laughs> that says a lot right there. <laughs> One of the things I was going to share with you thinking of teenage sons is again, I have a friend who raised three boys and her youngest is going to be 21 next week or so. So this past weekend she wanted to spend some time with him and, um, uh, They went out to lunch and she said, you know, face to face in a restaurant. We had great conversations and no complaints, um, just a lovely time. But on the way home, there was something going on in Grand Rapids with the traffic and they were stuck for a long time in traffic. So they're looking forward. And all of a sudden he started to share feelings. And she was reminded back that when we are talking to men and boys That face-to-face interaction is just too hard. So, you know, at the lunch table, that was too threatening. And he kind of shut down some of those things. But when they were in the car, both facing forward, then he could talk about some of those things that were a little more serious or heartfelt. So
1: not even, not making eye contact is almost better.
2: It is. is Mm -hmm. Yes. With a boy, they say, and even with our husbands, that we're supposed to be doing an activity sometimes when we talk about stuff. It's not a let's sit in a circle and share, which leads you back to something that your listeners have asked you is my husband doesn't want to go to a group. Yeah. So if you think of the beehive and a woman who keeps her emotions out versus a man who man caves and keeps his cards close to his chest, it's probably not going to want to go to a group where Mm -hmm. women go to more support groups and classes. So that's normal. Okay. 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 Yep, very much so. Um, it's hard,
1: though, if you're wanting to go to some sort of family thing then mm-hmm. and not, you know, maybe you want to go to a family retreat and now mm-hmm. dad doesn't want to go. And so do you go with the kids by yourself? You know, right. it's we had it that a lot of challenging.
2: Yep. And at Starlight, the groups, you know, the mom would say, I don't know if my husband will come and just encouraging them to come without them and to do yeah. that kind of thing, I think. Because the next thing about men is they tend to do want to problem solve. So I think they'll give anything a try for a little bit just because they probably go under the umbrella of if it's going to make it better, I guess. Well, that's true. And And maybe you'll try it. Right. Mm -hmm. But women might want to stay in the group longer or form connections within the group
1: that maybe the, the men don't necessarily. Well, and I think back to us going to Starlight too- the first week, I didn't do great, to be honest. I was sitting there, just like, kind of in the back of my mind, I was just screaming, "You don't belong here. You don't belong here. This, the, mm-hmm. you are not one of these people, right?" I didn't mm-hmm. want to be mm-hmm. one of those people. And the kids didn't do awesome either. But mm-hmm. we left, and Eric felt better. He's mm-hmm. like, "That was great. We really need to go back." And I was yeah. like, "Okay," because I was, I was like. Gwen was good but you know (laughs) I I didn't know it Mm -hmm. felt it was just so hard and I didn't know if I would really be able to do it and and the next week I actually like ran out into the hallway halfway through Uh kind of had a meltdown and before I went back Uh in again so it was hard right yet Eric was the one like yep we're going back next week Uh and I looked at the kids and I was like Okay, your dad liked it, so we're going back. (laughs) Well, the other thing is it
2: probably gave him information on listening to others. And, oh, okay, he's probably gauging his family next to the information that he was getting. Again, problem-solving it. But once Eric figured it all out, now you still have those emotional connections and you're still connected to the women, but I don't know that he's connected to any man there. And you know what was
1: funny, too, with him? It's everybody, like the second week, you know, it's the second week at Starlight, everybody tells their story, yeah. their grief story. Mm-hmm. And so they went around telling grief stories. I'm super emotional. That's the one mm-hmm. that I like. Kind of. Yeah. I, you know, I it was hard.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And Eric left. He felt better because he felt like he was lucky because he wasn't the other people and their stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? So it made him feel a little better about his grief wow, Andy was totally healthy kid up until the car accident when he died. We didn't have to watch him suffer. We didn't uh-huh. have to do this. We didn't, you know, it was all of those type of things. Like, aren't you glad that you didn't have to watch it? <laughs> and then you I know. was just like spent and, and
2: yeah. And here I am going to say this engage logical brain. He was right. totally engaged in his logical brain going, Oh, that story fits here on my scale, this story fits here. And, and that's the way he processed that. Yeah. Well,
1: and it just made him feel like better. And in some ways Mm -hmm. I would say the same, right. That I would listen to those other stories and like, oh, I'm just, I'm so glad that that's not, I didn't have to do that. And, Mm -hmm. but I just was much more on the emotional aspect of it. And I think he was looking at it more logically. Yeah. It's his engineering. Right, into my right. brain a little
2: bit, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And you know, one of the things that this man said in the seminar for himself, being a man cave, was yeah. that that was a safe place for him. That retreating mm-hmm. into his space, and I think in his house, his man cave was his basement, like a lower level with the big TV and cushy furniture, whatever. Um, it can look different for other men. I mean, it can be a an mm-hmm. ice fishing shanty or a deer blind or a, you know. Who knows what it is. But he said that's where he felt he could hear, heal spiritually, heal physically, and heal emotionally. So his healing, he felt, happened in his
1: private space. And not in solitude, in right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I think most women would probably say they don't feel like their grief does heal in solitude. Mine no. does not. If I am I- all by myself, it is bad. Right, mm-hmm. I am in a bad mm-hmm. place if people leave me alone too much. I need right. someone to engage me because otherwise I will start to wallow and get deeper and deeper and deeper. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it's hard for me to, I think, understand that for some people, solitude actually will make them feel better. Right. Right.
2: Yeah. yeah. It's mm-hmm. just in that, that processing. But he also used the word autopilot a lot. And his daughter died as a college student in a car accident. And he was away on business. He was also Mm -hmm. going through a divorce. We're going to talk about ex-husbands and where they fit because he wasn't sure where he fit in relationship to making decisions and with his wife and, you know, soon to be ex-wife. And there was just so many complications. But he said that in making the arrangements to get home and trying to figure this all out, it was very much an autopilot kind of thing. So he was really functioning on the tasks and not the feeling. And he was just going Mm -hmm. through, you know, where he could walk through an airport and just be on that, I got to get home, where if a woman was out of town and found out a child died, I bet everyone on the airplane would hear her story. Wouldn't you think? (laughs) Maybe?
1: (laughs) I I, I don't know. I mean, I mean heard. I can think back I've been yeah, on can, I've been on with people who found out and had to fly home and there's a lot of crying. Yeah, I
2: mean yep. I I can but. think of one woman who found out while she was away from home that her child had died and she was in um uh Shopping center parking lot and trying to drive home, and just pulled over her car and got out and just started sobbing in the parking lot of the shopping center. People were coming up and asking her what was wrong. Thankfully, I think someone offered to drive her home, mm-hmm. you know. But anyway, he so he talked a lot about that autopilot and that he just could focus on the task that had to be done. Yeah. Where I think I've watched, you know, other people just say, I couldn't even think of anything that had to be done, I had to have someone tell me. Now you need to do this. Now you need to do that. So Mm -hmm. again, that's another way that maybe the operation's different. Um, Well,
1: and then back to the whole thing that I talked about with not knowing if you're a man feeling like, am I doing something wrong? I mean, I think Mm -hmm. back to Eric that, you know, we're in the back of the ambulance and Mm -hmm. that paramedic said... That Andy had died. You know, despite our uh-huh. best efforts, we were unable to save your son. Those were his exact words, and I immediately started crying. And Eric didn't. Uh-huh. He didn't, and he really judged himself over it quite badly. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. He, I mean, he told me. I remember thinking to myself, "What is wrong with you? Why uh-huh. aren't you crying? Your son is dead." Right. And he's just been the one doing CPR on him and trying to revive him and doing a lot of stuff. And again, that's into that action mode. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's his Mm -hmm. doctor role, obviously, that he was doing. But after it was gone, it took him hours before he cried at all.
2: Mm -hmm. He didn't cry. Well, this man this man addressed this in the seminar. So I took my notes. So I came home today from um, what I was doing all day to investigate whether this was true. So put on your physician hat, because he said, why don't men cry as much as women? He said testosterone. So I started looking it up and in testosterone can inhibit crying. Well, there's a hormone called prolactin.
1: Yeah,
2: prolactin. Yeah. Yeah. It says it can promote it. And women have more of that than men.
1: So right it's what there, causes you to lactate, actually. That's why it's, oh, that's why it's pro lactate. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. So when you're breastfeeding, you have very high levels. But yeah.
2: And pro-lactin. do are women more emotional while breastfeeding? I was not a breastfeeder, so I don't know.
1: Well, I think they're more emotional while they're pregnant, and they're pro, and yeah, their prolactin's higher then. And right. Perhaps when they're breastfeeding, I'm not sure. I don't know. Okay. But but anyway, just to know what okay. the name of that hormone, so, definitely. Yes. No. From mm-hmm.
2: So he was saying, you know, we're made different on our hormones. So he said, if we have more testosterone, it actually gives a male a more cognitive approach, and it keeps you calmer. So then I looked up does testosterone keep you calmer? And it said that men have half the reported anxiety disorders as women. And that could be the role of testosterone. I did not know that men have half of the reported anxiety disorders of women. And so I'm like, wow, are these things true? So I didn't have enough time this evening, but I'm going to research this a little bit more. But he just basically said that men produce 30% more than women. Of, of mm-hmm. testosterone. But then it's yep. interesting. Yep. He said it starts deteriorating and changing at age 30 for men. Mm-hmm. So, you know, because I have watched and I've often wondered why are some of the older men I work with whose, you know, wives have died much more tearful than the men who I work with who are young, who may have a wife or a child die. So
1: I wondered that. That is, that is interesting. Mm-hmm. It also may be why the teenage boys don't much at all right right because they have high levels very high levels yeah right Mm -hmm. so he said guys that's why we
2: don't we're we're chemically made differently so you know again I'm listening to a lay person who's not a medical person give these things out when you go to a conference you write them down and now it's my job to go in before I you know
1: Well, I mean, it it does make some sense, certainly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially Um, when I think about as men age, they do tend to end up getting more emotional. And obviously their testosterone levels drop off. Right. So So here's what he said were four reasons to cry. He
2: said it does detox your body. So Mm he's like trying to encourage the men who were in there about crying. And that is so true that it does detox us. And but it led me back to what you just said about Eric. And that moment he, he was calmer, didn't mean that he wasn't going to cry about what happened. It's just at that moment, he had an ability to be calmer, Mm -hmm. more calm than you were. So he just talked about the fact that it does detox your body it improves your mood and crying does do that. I mean, when you have that buildup where you need to have a good cry,
1: you get kind of ornery. Yeah yeah and then you do feel better it's funny because you avoid it and avoid it it. i mean a lot of people do Mm -hmm. like don't don't cry don't cry don't cry cry." right a lot of times when you do it's like okay i'm feeling a little better now i just got it out right right and then he talked about the
2: fact that it does restore your emotions. And and what, what we mean by that is actually it is healthier because that myth is that if you ignore it or stay away from it, you actually feel better. And that's not true. So when you know we can cleanse ourselves and and talk about our feelings and our hurts, it actually does restore more positive emotions. I think it can give your body a little bit of a reset. Right. Very much so. So if it's against their norm to cry, sometimes it might be helpful for a man who is sitting there going, wait, I I don't think that's a good thing for me to do, that there are benefits to it when, when they feel, and then he just talks about the fact that it does dull the pain. He also addressed then the roles and relationships is that that's the other part is that so many times when Something happens in a family, we go into our, our role, you know. Yeah. So, this is what we do. And sadly enough, men have been trained and taught to be the sustainers. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That, you know, you keep the family together, you're supposed to protect them. This was the societal
1: expectations,
2: sort of. Yes, yeah. Exactly. Very much mm-hmm. so. So I think just to be aware of that and, and the differences, and, and again, I think for men, if they have, they don't have the, maybe the number of relationships that women have, but I've watched many men have some deep relationships with other men that they can trust and tell their stuff to. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing that happens in a relationship, um, a husband and wife relationship, is that many times that's the person you tell all your stuff to. Yeah. But when your wife's broken and hurting, then they feel like they've kind of lost her a little bit. Right.
1: And I think you feel like you can't put more on. Right. Like, oh, if I tell her my stuff. Yeah. Right. And I think you then they end up feeling this like I have to be that for her, but I can't let her have to be that for me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. Like I can be the yeah. support for my wife, but gosh, mm-hmm. she's do it, handling too much. We can't. Yeah. But we're stronger um, than you think we are. Right. <laughs> need to show you a little more. Right. We
2: are. Exactly. Well, I always go back to someone sharing with me, you know, in Proverbs 31, where, you know, they describe a woman, it compares her to rubies and rubies are the second strongest stone there is. So, I mean, right there, we're compared to strength, even though you might not look at a woman as maybe being as strong. We are strong. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I do want to go back to something that I was saying about this man's relationship, that he was the soon to be ex-husband. And, you know, not living at home. I've also met people who are grieving a child that they had with their former spouse, and now they're married to a new spouse, and that person's not grieving in the same way that they are. Yeah, that's got to be hard. Very much so. Mm -hmm. Very much so. Because again, you know, um, that first wife, the mother of the child may be the person who understands the most, but that's not a relationship that's maybe there anymore, you know, at that same level. So Mm -hmm. I have heard that that's hard because that's the other places they don't know where to go to grieve. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And everything I've read today and other days, it is one of the temptations for men to stuff it, but then there's also a temptation to use drugs or alcohol. And I'm not saying they have a greater chance, but they just maybe tend to look for other coping mechanisms instead of feeling that pain. So I think for any man listening, just to kind of watch for that. I don't ever quiz men like, you know, how much are you drinking? Or, But this is what I ask people. And I think as someone listening who might be concerned about a man in their life is to think, has their relationship? with alcohol change since the death. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they say if it becomes your mood regulator, then it is a problem. So if someone had two beers every night before their child died, and now they still have two beers every night, that's not a real change. Yeah. But if that does change and increase, then I do think we have to look at that and say, you know, what other ways can we...
1: Well, I have some friends who lost their son and have talked to both the husband and wife. I'm closer Uh to the wife, obviously, but I've talked with both of them. And I know that the husband said to me he had known one other bereaved dad Uh and that bereaved dad has not stopped drinking Uh since his son or daughter died. And so that's all he knew. He just Uh knew of one guy whose child Uh died and Mm -hmm. he won't stop drinking Mm -hmm. so i mean that's pretty scary if you're that guy that's your that's your what Mm -hmm. you know right Right. the only person and that's the coping mechanism which obviously is a terrible coping mechanism which Mm -hmm. he doesn't want to do and he's like i'm I'm sure he's trying to steer far far away from that because he knows how horrible it was
2: Mm -hmm. for his
1: friend but you know, and that's pretty scary.
2: It is. And, the, you know, so besides the alcohol, the other thing to look into is a complete shutdown where they're not, you know, if, if they're going to their man cave and doing their work in private, that's fine. But if they're completely shutting down, we need to find a way that they can let that out.
1: So here's a question then. How do you know the difference?
2: With shutting down the
1: man cave, how do you know? Huh if they are shutting down completely or if they actually are doing some work
2: yeah i mean i'm gonna go with what my gut tells me and if i was in a situation like that or someone was asking me i would ask the man when you retreat are you thinking about it are you doing you know your inner stuff is it just your way of getting it out and Mm -hmm. If they say yes, then you know, but if they shut you down and go, no, I, you know, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not, you know, then that's a shutdown when they can't even answer the questions. Like, you don't have to tell me what you do in that space, but does it make you feel better? Does it? Okay. So I'm married to an outdoorsman, which is, you know, a completely different breed altogether. Um, (laughs) So... One of the things that I do know in observing him for 35 years is he, he is better when he's in the woods or in a boat or, you know, and when he goes periods of time that he's not, I can tell he he gets grumpy and ornery and, but I don't ask him. What do you do in the woods? Like, I don't ask, I can just tell that when he comes back, he's better. So that's Mm -hmm. the other thing that a woman can observe is when they've come back. If you can see the mood changer that they've regulated things, then
1: okay. I like that. I like that.
2: Then go to the woods. And there'd be times that I'd say to my husband, I you haven't been in the woods in a while. I think you need to go. And you know it's interesting because we're we're Christ followers. We go to church, but I think where my husband sees God more than in the address of our church mm-hmm. is in nature.
1: Well, and I've talked to a lot of bereaved parents who feel like they feel their kids more in nature too. Yes, yes, right? and then yeah, you feel closer so to them. So. Yes, mm-hmm. so much so. Yeah. Well, I go back to thinking of that story that you've told on the podcast more than once—the <laughs> chopping wood story. Yes. Yeah. Right. So mm-hmm. that's that's a good one too. Why it don't is. you? You can certainly share that right. again. Right. Well, yes So um, the last time you told this story. Yep.
2: Male and female, um, husband and wife, child died, and they the wife asked me to come to the house. Said, you know, my husband, he's just not talking. He's not, you know, he's just she thought completely shut down. And um, but anyway, so I get to the house and she said, see, he's not even going to come in for our visit. He's staying outside. I said, okay. So as we were walking to where we were going to be seated, there was a big sliding glass door and I looked out and he was chopping wood. And I said, wow, that is a huge pile of wood. And she said, that's all he's done since she died. And I said, wow, that's a lot of grief in your yard. And she didn't look at that physical, him out there chopping as a grief response. So it might not look like sitting in the house crying with the grief person, but he's out there doing that. And once she could see that, and I think that's the other piece that, you know, women, we have to take our emotional brain out of it and put a little bit more of our logic and observe them and watch for ways that don't look like our ways. Like, oh, that's, yeah, how he's doing that, and we have to do the same thing in showing love because to us, maybe we grew up thinking that a man sends you flowers all the time, and, right. <laughs> and that's not the reality. But yet, uh, beautiful expressions of love. Like I, I have an example that just comes to my mind is um, a woman whose husband, when she's gone at night, like she's out at a concert or gonna, he's going to bed before her. He lays on her side to have it warm, so when she comes in, her side's warm. Oh, and it's like, that's love, but he doesn't, it wasn't flowers. Right. So we have to look at the behavior and look at some of that. And I think that's where we have to take off that. It doesn't look like mine. Therefore he's not doing it. Right.
1: Yeah. That's a great example though, of thinking about ways things that they might be doing that you don't interpret as Uh grief work Uh as grieving and Uh look at it in a different way. Mhm
2: For sure, again, they don't react. they process and step back and they they want to think about it. And I've met a lot of my friends who that bothers them in a fight because they want to fight it out. We're more explosive women, you know, we just oh. and the man wants to step back and think about it and can I get back to you on that and process it? And they're like, no, <laughs> I want to talk this out right now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So one of the other things that this man said that he did that I want to get to was he said ways that he worked through this were, and this is, we started with this, he said, to do something for someone else. Like he needed. So what he said is he was very logical at the beginning. He did all the steps and this is, you know, checking the boxes and what had to be done. Then Mm -hmm. he said he stayed in bed for 10 days. After the funeral, after everything, he just stayed in bed for 10 days. Now, I was going to ask him, were you crying at that time? Were you sleeping? What was it like for you? But I never got a chance to ask him. He just said he stayed in bed for 10 days. But the ways that he realized that he needed to work through it is he needed to begin doing some things for others. So he did that. He said another way he worked through it was with his faith and hammering Mm -hmm. that out and you know we've said on here we can't neglect our soul but then the next thing for him is he felt like he needed to do something for the community
1: yeah but again that gets back to the doing something right right, right. Mm-hmm. but again
2: you know here's a man leading the seminar and he's telling men what helped him i mean uh, what other response i guess he's falling right into line with <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know but then one of the other pieces for him in particular was that Forgiveness that he was angry at the driver. Mm -hmm. Sure. And there was some things he was that he was watching. uh, The truck driver was watching a pornographic movie on the screen in his cab of his truck when the accident occurred. And just that forgiveness towards that man and how he had to work through that. And I do think that leads back to a man's response of wanting to protect his family or to seek justice and make sure someone pays a price. And I, you know, for him, he really had to work through that.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's can be different for different people, too. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, as far as the car accident for us, Eric forgave her way earlier than I did. Mm-hmm. So right it's not always that way
2: and again is it a is that a logical like these are things I need to do because I know it's better for me and they just do it without women we need well you know what
1: he did is he he immediately put himself in her shoes Mm. Mm. because you know she had asked her 14 year old son was in the front seat he witnessed this Mm -hmm. you know he witnessed his mom rear ending this family Mm -hmm. and killing somebody Mm-hmm. And he immediately just went to that. Mm-hmm. And I just was much more uh, emotional and that, yeah, but she gets to tuck her son into bed every night. And I don't mm-hmm. because she was stupid, you know? <laughs> right. And oh, made a yeah. So- exactly. So two totally
2: different ways. And and I do think, you know, that Eric fits in more with this guy was saying, like he needed to, to do that.
1: Yeah. And that's, I don't know. but, but yeah, he wasn't like the, he didn't, he wasn't angry really at all. Mm-hmm. He would just, yeah. I, I but again, he was trying to think of it logically. And in his mind, I think the anger, it really wasn't going to do anything. Right. Right. So there was no but, but see, way for the anger to cause some sort of improvement in the situation, Uh then there was no point having it. Right.
2: But how many times did you go, when you come home and you tell your husband something, a little bit of drama or a story, and they look and they go, so what? None (laughs) of our business. How does this affect our family? And you're like, aren't you enraged that you said that or did that? Can you see it? Like, they're just so, they think differently. So he processed that and said, what good's the anger going to do? I'm going to put myself in her shoes and let go with it. And we're still sitting there going, but wait a minute. She changed my
1: family forever.
2: Yeah. Right. You know, so it's a difference. But I've said this when we talked about men before and families and all of that, that we don't want to end on you know, or focus all the time on all the differences because we, we have differences that there's no doubt about it. We're made differently. We are different. Um, We have different roles. We have different family history. We have, you know, different stresses going on in life. We have so many things, but the commonalities
1: Mm -hmm.
2: are that we all hurt we all have feelings. We all have to figure out what to do with them. And, you know, that need transcends gender. Like that doesn't matter what gender you are or what your chemical makeup is. We have a need when our heart's broken and things happen to, to work through that. To cry and to care and to count our blessings and to count days of I've made it through a day. Whatever you're counting. Yeah. We all have to do that.
1: I I do want to read this comment Brian wrote in and I really love what he wrote here. So he said, my wife and I very much passed the grief baton right away. I broke and she made all the calls. Then she would break. And I took the wheel. Now, after a year, we grieve together in some ways and I crave silence to make things slow down enough to think. So that was beautiful. And I do love that passing because he's right. I think even, you know, I told Uh you Eric didn't, didn't cry right in Mm -hmm. in right away but yet i was the person who had to make all the phone calls to our family he couldn't Mm -hmm. do it Mm -hmm. he Mm -hmm. couldn't do it at all so you know i called both of our pastors i called our family friends i called my brother i called his sister i mean i had to do all of that because he couldn't so even though he wasn't like broken down emotionally crying he also just he was kind of frozen Mm -hmm, in a way. -hmm. But I love love this. I just, I I like the whole thing. So I love the passing the baton back and forth. That was a beautiful analogy. And then the now I crave silence to make things slow down enough to. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, and so those are two separate points. I think the first one is that partnership where you can say, Hey, who, who's got the strength here today in this, right? Right. Who's got, you know, what, what does this mean? And so We do that a lot of different ways in relationships. And that's beautiful that they do that in their grief. And then now they're at a point where they can, it's not maybe as heavy or as oozing raw. So now they can carry each other. But the other part of the silence that just goes back to that retreating. And sometimes people need that in order just to have that
1: space. Mm -hmm. That Mm -hmm. retreating can be healthy and helpful, even though other people who you love in your life Mm -hmm. might not think it that same way. Mm -hmm. It really is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which
2: brings me, I mean, you know, this is a whole different topic, but it leads me to the fact that I've been doing a lot of presentations on the fact that we have so much input and so much screen time and so much doing, doing, doing that we are forgetting to have solitude and, you know, silence where we can have, everything else hushed so we can hear what's happening in our own heart Mm -hmm. and so that's what he's saying there is that 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 gets him in touch with this yeah yeah Yeah. so we we definitely need to do that i've never been to one but i've heard amazing things about silent retreats
1: okay have you ever heard of them where people Uh,
2: don't talk
1: and i don't that would be so strange wouldn't
2: it yeah but I, I will tell you, something happened to me two summers ago. We were watching our friends' animals. And so, you know, chickens and all sorts of things. And we had to water their plants. And they have a pool. And they said, in exchange for taking care of our yard and our animals, feel free to hang at the pool. So I don't I don't really do animals. I'm not an animal lover. So if, you, if that brings me down in ranking to people, I'm really sorry. But I, I'm not an animal lover. So I went there to their home. And just told my husband I'd float in the pool till he got there to feed the animals and he didn't show up and he didn't show up. And they just have this quiet backyard. I didn't bring a book to read because I didn't think I was going to be there by myself that long. I had no music. I don't even think I had my phone. I think that was part of it. Like, you know, to text him and say, when are you coming? And it was like three hours by myself in total (laughs) silence. But the creativity in my brain, I was so excited about. And I keep thinking, why don't I do that at other times just to have that silence? Mm -hmm. Because I tend to fill myself with people and reading or what am I going to do next? And so I I, I take a lesson.
1: Shortly after Andy died, one of my friends took me to a place. I can't even remember what it was called. But it was like this. You went in this little room thing that you floated in salt water oh yeah yeah and it was in total darkness like you can't see anything it's completely dark and you just lay there and float yeah in this salt water did you like it that that, it's a good question (laughs) it was very 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 emotional for me that's what i've heard I mean, there was no sensory input at all. Uh-huh. Right? There's nothing. You're just laying there, floating. I mean, you put your arms out to the side, and you couldn't quite touch either side. Right? So you're just uh-huh. Uh-huh. floating. And I never—I don't know. It's. I've had
2: people to- have different experience with this With it, two friends went, and one absolutely loved it, and one hated the feeling of it. Just well, hated it
1: that. just was. I mean, my friend took me to it because I was actively grieving. Because it you know, Andy hadn't been gone that long, but in in some ways, I think it was a little early mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. me to do that. It felt so big then. I mean, it was the grief was so incredibly overwhelming mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. and I was at a point where I couldn't feel it all. Mm-hmm. It was just too hard to feel it all, you know, right yeah. away, you just can't feel no, it all. you can't no. And it was, so it was just too much. It uh-huh. would be interesting now, years later, what it might feel like now. Uh-huh. I mean, I never went back because I right. think it just scared me.
2: Right. Well, I had a friend go to a yoga class and I, forgive me that I don't know what type of yoga it was, but someone invited her, but it was some emotion like to evoke emotion uh-huh. and she wasn't prepared and she really was uncomfortable with the whole thing. So I was thinking of that as you were talking, which led me to another point is I think women, we have to read cues from the men in our life, especially teenage boys that mom, it's too much. You know, we want to stay till it's all finished and wrapped up with a nice little bow and we feel perfect about it and everyone's hugging and singing kumbaya, right? but they get to a point that it's too much. And so I think we have to take our clues from that. And I've watched it in support group where the women are just engaged in something and the men have already checked out and I I can tell the difference. And I've been a couple of places where I've just said, men, if you need to leave, you can, we're gonna just finish this up and a couple of them get up and it's holding it for too long or too much of it. They just need to retreat. And so I've observed that.
1: Well, and I did want to make one more point, maybe ask a question Uh about just friends that I've had whose teenage boys are not understanding their emotionality. So they Uh are getting frustrated with their mom over, they just want them to be mom Yes, yes, and to be happy and to be more normal. Yeah. And how how do you recommend responding to that? Because they can't be right.
2: So I have so many thoughts, but it all boils down to communication and then the compromise. So the talking it out, what parts of what I cry make you uncomfortable? Does that evoke a fear in you that I'm not going to come back? I'm not going to be, you know, but then the other part is to hear what their concerns are. And then One of the things we don't realize, I think oftentimes I've seen this, especially with bereaved moms is how much they're wearing their grief out there. And it does infiltrate every part of the family. And the Mm -hmm. child just wants maybe the fun mom or wants to be able to do something without that heaviness of that grief. So we have to hear that. So hear me saying, I'm not saying the mom has to put all her grief aside and be happy and I'm not saying that she but I think we have to find the middle especially when a child is expressing I don't like who you are anymore. Well, I'm not the same and this is who I am, but let me try when I'm around you or when we do have a family activity that maybe to truly make that activity a fun activity and let the child choose it. And what would be. yeah, Or
1: deal. right. And again, with you, with a compromise, like what yes. would make things better? What could we maybe do this mm-hmm. week? Have one yep. evening or something that we're going to do something yeah. And see if you can do that as a compromise. But then the other way, they got to give you a little something back. Too, they do. Right. And they can't that, now be whine and complain the other six nights of the week because you really went out of your right. way to do something. Right. So that means exactly. you've got to have more patience to the other yes. way. And I, you know,
2: I read this thing recently or heard it that resolving arguments or resolving anger, resolving conflict comes down to are you and I together? committed to Mm -hmm. keep talking about this until we find a solution. I realize that that's what I do with families is that we need to keep talking about it, whether it's the holidays coming up, whether it's what to do with the pictures on the wall, or, you know, I've shared this story before in, in my grief things, but about the food with that young boy who was mad at his mom because she was not cooking in her grief. Have I told this story on here? Yeah. Yeah. I love this story. Yeah. But for them, it was, you know, he was so angry at mom, but it came down to the fact that he just wanted the meals back because the brother had lived for nine months in the hospital and they were with him all the time. So he was being fed by strangers. So when his brother actually died, what he wanted was his mom back. And she's thinking, are you crazy? Like, I lived through nine months of your brother in critical care and now I'm grieving and you're worried about meatloaf. I mean, like, it it could have divided the whole family because, as you know, you know, people fight over the color of carpet and this family was fighting over food. So anyway, that compromise and keep coming back at it. And with that family, seven days in a week, mom cooked one night, dad cooked another, the boy cooked one. They had sandwich night, pizza night, go out to dinner night and leftover night. And so seven days of the week, the compromise, mom only had to cook once.
1: Yeah. And that's that's the beautiful thing about that. So I think thinking about having those conversations yes. with your teenager or, or whatever right. about what this is yeah. what I can give to you. No, right. What can you give back? What can we do together? Right. And, and, and that was a beautiful us, compromise. Those who, those of us who
2: are moms, if we're if you're a wife currently at the same time, I think you can look at in your marriage how you've had to compromise. We have to do that with our kids sometimes too. And we do like, okay, sometimes this is what I ask my kids. How many questions can I ask about the event? You know, (laughs) and, and some nights, you know, they're like, oh, ask away. And other nights, I mean, and, and I have one child who limitless, I can ask anything I want. Another child said, you get two questions. You get two. make them good that's all the information i'm giving you so you know it's work it's trying to figure out how to do that and i think it's the same thing with the males in our life like whether they're grieving or they're just yeah
1: well thank you so much i think we're running out of time but i really appreciate our conversation and again for all of you uh listening to the podcast if you have a topic that you would like gwen and i to cover let us know yeah. Our next one of these will be in October. I think I already uh-huh. planned the date now, yep. mid-October, I think. And yep. then um after that we'll do one right around Thanksgiving well, and can I
2: say something else besides a topic? Mm-hmm. I think if there are people listening, who ha- who we learn from is these people who have out there living this. So when they listen to it, to write into you or email you with some of their ideas, and then maybe we can share them in a future mm-hmm. broadcast because they're the ones out there hammering this out day in and day out living it.
1: That's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. If you've got tidbits and little bits of advice. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: For absolutely
1: sure. and the absolutely. husbands too. teach us how to work with you
2: <laughs> yes for yeah sure. and I think that's the other piece is just saying how what can I do for you and this is what I need
1: and yeah yeah and it's hard to say what you need but it is really important it is yeah so thank you again okay. Gwen until thank next you, time all.
0: thanks for listening if you found this helpful and would like to support the podcast, please leave a five-star rating and comment. To help financially, you can text Andy's Mom to the number 53555 or visit the donate page on andysmom.com. Your donations are secure and tax-deductible, and we are now able to accept Venmo, PayPal, and Apple Pay. Always Andy's Mom is a registered 501c3 organization and can receive donations through smile.amazon.com Thrive in Financial, and Benevity, amongst others. Marcy loves hearing from listeners. Please feel free to reach out to her via email at marcy at Also, be sure to sign up for the email list to receive weekly updates as well as pictures of all of Marcy's guests and their children. Together, let's work to inspire hope one day at a time.